Hello, hello, hello. You're back at Plan Tribe to a wonderful next show that you are going to be amazed at. You know, I I am so passionate about this subject and I really, really want to stress that because everybody has a story and I'm so, so very excited about this episode. Um, but if you are new here, welcome to your backup plan tribe, Talking Taboo with Tina. Yes, I am Tina Ginn. I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Remember, Jeannie? It happens that quickly. Just like that. Poof. Your life changes in a quick second. And... You better be prepared for the unexpected because it comes quick. Um, I'm a financial expert and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. I'm located here in beautiful Vancouver, BC, and I don't like how my hair is today, but it's all good. I want to welcome all of you to our show and our channel. I'm so happy to have you all here. Those are that are repeating visitors. Thank you. And if you are new, I get my hand out and press on that button down here. Subscribe. If you already haven't, please do. And please share and like because, you know, if you have found us and watching us, you found us for a reason. And I really, really believe that. And um, I love each and every one of you. If I, you know, I want to thank our American listeners, our Canadian listeners, and our third top is Germany. And it's been staying there ever since the very beginning. This is our third season already. And Germany is just staying up in that third position. So, meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentar haben, können Sie gern Fragen stellen. Also danke für deine Freundschaft. Und danke fürs Hören, meine deutsche Freunde. So thank you so very much, my German listeners. Um, I want to mention about what, you know, people ask me all the time. Tina, what the heck is your backup plan app? And why do I need it? Like, it, why? Well, I... It puts your life all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance while taking that painful aftermath out of that tragedy. Um, I just want to mention that, you know, I have two statements, I think, this today. And back in the prairies time, remember a little house on the prairie? They used to take their wooden paper, roll their important documents, roll it up tight, and then tell the family and friends that it was up in the attic rafters or in the basement, in the ceiling. And that's where you found all the important documents that you needed. But how many years ago was that? And what the heck do we do now? We do nothing. We have stuff over here in that drawer, and we have stuff in that closet, and we have stuff in the filing cabinet, and we have stuff in our computer, and we have stuff in our phone. It's all over the heck, the, all over the place. And no wonder our nationwide, UK, Australia, Europe, Canada, United States, everywhere, 
is having huge amounts of unclaimed money because people and families don't know where all your stuff is. And I'm telling you right now, it's a big, big problem. And that's why I'm here to let you know that, you know, Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan till you get punched in the face. And it's very, very true. We don't realize the importance of having some sort of plan and getting our stuff together, having a grab and go bag, having an emergency kit, having extra water and supplies, having stuff in our car. You know, I'm just all about being prepared for whatever might happen. And I'm so very excited about bringing our next guest on because she's in a prime place to be prepared. Not only has so many things hit that area, but it only makes sense to be prepared. Sort of like the tornado areas and the earthquake areas and the tsunami areas and um, apartment building collapses and all of that fun stuff that we don't think we need to be prepared for and wildfires but we do. We definitely do. Not only are we worried about ourselves and car accidents, but we need to be prepared for natural disasters as well. So let's get this party started. I'm going to bring on, you know, and I didn't ask how to say her last name, Laura Coyette. I'm going to try that and see if that's okay. I'm going to bring her on right now. Did I get it right? Well, I had my fingers crossed because with you being Canadian, I was like, it's a, it's a, it's a name that you might, it's Cayouette. Cayouette. I wasn't sure because it's, I think it's French, right? It, so. is. it is, but it's bastardized the way it's spelled. So yeah. it's a very American way of, it's a sounded out the way it's spelled. Do you think they changed it then? Do you think that it was? Oh, I know they must have, but yeah. uh, it's not actually my family name, so they can do whatever they want to it because I I come along very late in the story of the Cayuette clan. I, I married into that family and then left. So <laughs> I just sort kept of, the name. Yeah, so, sort of like yeah. me. I'm still in revision stage right now. Well, I um, turned that name. I'm keeping it and it's mine now. Oh, <laughs> so. okay. That's good. Um, I wanted to bring you on because you're from beautiful New Orleans and I wanted to talk about, you know, your passion about what's your story. Everyone has one. Um, what's yours, especially if for everybody. Um, the best part of your story is the next page is blank and you get to write it by Chris Butler. Um, our crazy story today with Laura is about something very dear to my heart. It is what everyone should be doing right from the time they can. If it's just a sentence or a poem or a paragraph or a whole book, it doesn't really matter. We have so many great words in our lives, so many great and horrible experiences as well in our life that we really need to either get it out to our family and friends or even to the public so that we can help heal others and share uh, or let others know that, you know, you're not alone in this crazy world. Um, <clears throat> but known as Leonardo DiCaprio's sister and Quentin Tar 
Tarantinos? Tarantino. Tarantinos. Is Quentin Tarantino not a big name in Canada? I can't imagine. That's not true. No. <laughs> Is it Italian? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, but he's American. He's as American as I am. He's he's he made Pulp Fiction. You don't know Quentin Tarantino? Well, I'm not familiar as much with it. I'm sure oh, I do. So, Every once in a while, this happens, and I'm always kind of excited by it because it's it's you know when you're involved in something that's sort of globally famous, when you meet somebody who's not acquainted with it, you're like, oh well, let me tell you about this exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. he is he is certainly one of the greatest filmmakers to ever live. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I'm sure I know him then. Um, Laura has acted in over 60 movies and TV shows, including Now You See Me, True Detective, and Friends. She currently recurring on Oprah Winfrey and Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar. Laura is the author of six, eight books, including No Small Parts, An Actor's Guide in Turning Minutes into Moments and Moments into a Career. Um, it has a foreword by Richard Dreyfus and endorsements from Kevin Costner, Lou Diamond Phillips, Reginald, 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 Reggie, <laughs> Reggie. That's I Reggie guess Hedlund. that's what they always call yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to just briefly talk about. I know you have much more to talk about for your beautiful experiences in this world. We're where did it all start for you, Lori? You have so much background. The universe has totally guided you. It has. And and sometimes down alleys where scary people were. But yes, the universe has been guiding me. Um, I, I was always a writer. I don't remember not being a writer. And I, you know, I, it's funny because I always envied people who knew what their um, career was going to be. And I never thought of myself as one of those people. And yet I absolutely was. It's just that I didn't understand that writing could be a career. And for me, it hasn't been thus far as far as like how I pay my bills. I pay my bills with acting. And that's a different kind of storytelling. And, um, and no, that's similar. similar. They are. Well, one, you're taking somebody else's story that might be written by, and the person might be fictional or non-fictional, and then that's written by another person, and then you're directed by a different person, and then when you are done with the experience of, of filming it, then it gets edited by another person, and so um, acting is a very communal way of storytelling, mm -hmm. where there's lots and lots of cooks in that kitchen telling that story. Writing is usually far more singular. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's interesting that life sort of made me become part of the filmmaking community and made me become more collaborative because it is my instinct to just be like, I got this, I'll write it myself. You know? So and just tell my story my way, no impediments. <laughs> <laughs> and no revisions, no other. Well, ideas. obviously revisions, but but you still of under my own. umbrella. Of yeah. your own. Yeah. Yeah. So what parts um do you're still acting? Um, and you're working on right now. What are you working on right now? Or are you allowed to say? Uh I have a couple of things coming out soon. Uh Queen Sugar uh is starting their seventh season, which will be their final season. And I do have a my character Marlene will be making a, a brief comeback. And uh and then um 
I did a movie called Off Ramp uh, Juggalo Road or something like that. Anyway, it's about Juggalos, which are the fans of the Insane Clown Posse, which was oh. a whole subculture I had to research to be a part of. Um, so that's, I don't know when that's coming out, uh, but it eventually. I did not know that was a thing. Yeah, I know. I had to look it up to to be somebody who could, you know, pull that off. I had actually heard of them. I was aware of Juggalos and I had seen Juggalos, but I had, and I actually have, I'm friends with a Juggalo, but um, I didn't know much about the whole thinking behind it or the culture behind it or even the music uh, until I got that part. And then I had to like cram it. <laughs> so. And is it, is it based around the clowns and juggling? And, or, no, or, or no. Everything, or the anything? Insane Clown Posse is a music group. They're a rap group. And uh, so there's nothing to do with clowns and nothing to do with juggling. They paint their faces in similar way to the way that Kiss paints their faces. They use only oh, black okay. and white. So they use only black and white and, and they make clown faces. Um, so that's, I guess, where the clown thing comes from is the idea of masking in order to reveal the true self in a new way. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So that's where the clown thing is. The insane clown posse is the idea behind the painting of the face. So, but no, there's nothing, nothing at all circusy around it. No, although I guess the idea is that it would be like a circus in so far as no bit, no matter how much of a freak you are, you're welcome there. And I oh cool quotes, but yeah, 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 yeah. And and if uh, uh, like most good things, at some point it derails and becomes terrible. But um, it you know <laughs> the intentions when it started out as a movement were well, first of all, a band starting a movement at all is pretty interesting. And, mm -hmm. and then the movement they were trying to start was about inclusion um, and that it wouldn't matter who you are, you're welcome at the party. Oh, cool. Um, I don't remember you and friends. <laughs> well, because I was only on one episode. So, oh, that's all right. I think episode. I know every single one. <laughs> I'm actually on the episode with Ben Stiller. So a lot of people remember that Ben Stiller did an episode. Yes. Um, yeah, it was season three when the duck and the chick were in the <laughs> in the pool table. Yes, yeah, so it's that that time zone. Um, Ross and Rachel had just broken up, and I am Ross's first date post breakup. Oh, were you the, were you the one with the dirty apartment? No, no, no. I was. Okay. Uh, we had gone. Rachel had the date with Ben Stiller, and that was Ross, a bad. Yes, and I was yeah. Ross's date, and I think the thing most people remember about my character, if they remember me at all, is me saying to Ross, at some point I get bored of him, and I say, I don't want to wait around waiting for some guy who may or may not scream. So oh. that that's the moment that a lot of people remember, but but it's okay with me that, that you would not remember my one little moment. I mean, I, I'm I think I have three scenes in the episode, but it's okay yeah. with me that you wouldn't remember my three scenes out of what is that a 12 year? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of shows, a lot so, of shows. Yeah. And I think I've been watching them every day for four years and I don't think I have yet to see them all. Well, and they're so fun. I mean, honestly, it's, it's good, clean American fun, you know, <laughs> and we don't have that anymore. Not enough. No. 
No, just fun comedy like Lucille Ball and Bewitched and there are a few, but Carol you know, Burnett. Assuming you have to find you have to find that stuff now. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of same. it's darker. A lot of it's a lot darker because we we live in darker times right now than than the fun know. times. Well, the fifties, which is where Lucy and all that come from, were a time where we were putting our sunny side up, and the eighties were again a time where we were like presenting ourselves as very well put together. I wouldn't say that we were better put together; we were just presenting that. So the eighties, there's a lot of glossy things and slick things, and you know. When you write in that business, do you have to be up on these generational time time changes and what people like are into that type of thing? I, of course, you should know these things, but I caution people never to follow a trend. How can you be a trendsetter if you're following a trend? So I, I personally um, just do my thing. And I worry less about whether it's timely. Now that said, it's been a very expensive for me to live that way because I have been ahead of the time a lot. Mm -hmm. And it um, hurts. It does. And it's financially upsetting as well as emotionally upsetting. But, um, but I would rather be ahead of the curve and know that I am living my truth my way than to be trying to chase a trend and arrive just as it ended yeah. over and over and over, you know, every time the relevancy over and over and over. Yeah. Kind of like when the real estate market goes up and you wait to get on board and then you wait too long and it's already starting to dip back down again. It's usually how people take their time and then get on that curve when it's, on the downside. Yeah, they end up buying high and selling low. Yeah. Um, so when this all started for you, after, I'm sure, from right from being young, what made you feel that the importance of not only maybe being in the field and writing an actual book or a story, what about getting your own story written in some shape or form? What made you get in that? angle? Well, I was 11 when I moved to a commune. It technically was a collective because a commune, you pool all your money and we kept our money separately. So technically it was a collective, but people don't know what that means when you say I moved into a collective. So I moved into a commune in uh, 1976. So now you can do the math on my age. But because of your mom? Uh, yeah, all the broken bits of the, there was, I lived in a suburban neighborhood and everybody got divorced at the same time. And all the broken bits of these families that had just been divorced all moved into this 200 year old farmhouse together. So um, there were five adults, five children, and then three children that would come every other weekend. And so I knew at the time that I was having a unique and rare experience and that it would need to be written down and that I would be the one to write it. And so that at 11 years old, I knew I had a job and my job was to write Lemonade Farm. And that's the book that took me 20 years to write because I didn't know how to write. I was 11. What do I know about being an author? 
but I just knew that that the story was mine to tell and that I would have that it would be my life's mission mission to tell it. And so I got busy about that and made that made a lot of decisions based on that, including that um, when I finished my degree in English literature, I started my master's in creative writing in English literature in order to be the one to earn the right to tell this story. So uh, for like for 20 years, you basically put your thoughts down on paper and now oh, you had to kind process. of put it all together. I, I started taking notes at some point and collecting notes and creating timelines. And, you know, then at some point you start actually writing. And I was, you know, did that for a really, really long time, years of writing. Then when I was done writing, I had to do the rewriting. And then at some point you realize <coughs> I'm a vacuum. I can't, you know, I'm just living in my own head. So you give it to other people to read and then, you know. So yeah, that whole, yeah, it took over 20 years to, and, and the writing part of it is actually just a, a piece of it. That's always just a piece of it. But um, yeah, it, it was really a long, long process. And partly because it's such a big unwieldy story. It takes place over the course of 12 to 14 months and has these 10 main characters and, you know, it's a coming of age story. So there's a lot of things that need to be held, handled delicately about, that tender age of 11, 12 year old. And, and their kid, the kids are from six years old to 14 years old. So they're, um, you know, there's a lot of different children involved as well. So it's really interesting though. Yeah. And obviously I wrote a fictional version of my life events, but, but um, you know, I wanted to honor the people that that fiction is based upon and, and the situation that we were living through. Was it really good idea to summarize? I, I mean, was I it, mean, it sounds like it would be great for people that are divorced and have it cheaper to live together in one place. I mean, the idea is great. The reason they did it was about childcare. Back in the 70s, the idea of leaving your children to their own devices was very foreign. The idea of a latchkey kid or, you know, just putting a key around somebody's neck was very foreign. And, you know, we were still living in a time where moms were stay-at-home moms. And so that was the primary driver was, yes, they wanted to pool their money and all that kind of stuff. All that made sense. But the bigger drive was childcare. They wanted to make sure that there was always an adult in the house with these children. And so um, it, what's interesting is that that was the driver. And yet um, I can say in a practical sense, that was <laughs> like the less, the least worry, because as soon as we were all moved in, they got very busy having a second childhood. They were all recently divorced and having a party and all the kids had to grow up really fast. Because so. <laughs> if it wasn't one wanting to do it, it was the other one. Well, it's just the best laid plans, you know? I mean, look, we did always have people there. Did they hook up people. too? I'm sorry? Did some of them hook up together too? Um, well, one of them, uh, was, there was a couple. There was one couple that um, they lived in separate bedrooms in the attic uh, across the hall from each other. So they did not share a bedroom, but they 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 were getting married eventually. Uh, they, uh, they well, now one has passed, but um, they... They were married. Yeah, since the 70s. I mean, they got married in the 80s, but they've been 
spiritually married since they met. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Well, it sounds yeah. like so they were a couple, but nobody else. <laughs> nobody else. It wasn't that kind of, I, I mean, like I said, these are people that were all neighbors beforehand. They already all knew each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there was a, a new roommate we moved in at some point. There was a, an adult we moved in at some point. So I guess it could have gotten messy around her because she was a single woman. Um, so that could have gotten messy. But it it wasn't that kind of scenario. I guess it's kind of like I friends. had my first kiss, though. <laughs> oh, with yeah. one of the kids. With one of the kids. Yeah. Oh, as a matter of fact, spin the bottle was definitely one of our favorite <laughs> games. <laughs> I remember that game. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I, I moved the, the kids that came every other weekend. One of them um, was a boy I'd always had a crush on. And so he was less of a moving target when he was in the house. Right. <laughs> yeah. Especially during that yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that there, I'm not saying that we weren't humans, we were all humans, but it wasn't that kind of environment. It's one reason I hate using the word commune is because for some reason that word has been sexualized. Yes. I don't know why. Yeah, because it really isn't, but I, I think it's from that polygamous, polygamous kind yeah, of I don't know. Things. I don't know if it's from the, I don't know. I just know that, that at some point I learned early on not to use the word commune casually or people would think that yeah. i had grown up as a sex slave or something yeah yeah sounds yeah i don't know what happened there either um so i can see that you know that really changed your concept of of writing but then you went into the educational part of getting your degrees and then where did it go from there after that well so i got I got my degrees and was getting ready to start my doctorate. And again, was going to get my doctorate creative writing and English literature. And I wanted to be a professor at a university, uh, particularly I had chosen University of Maryland. And I wanted to write books during my hiatus and, and be a professor, teach other people how to write and teach yeah. other people how to read other people's stories. So that was all something I was feeling very passionate about. I felt like that was a good choice in life. And it, it all seemed to line up with the idea of being a storyteller. And then acting happened. <laughs> and so I got a whole new education as an actor. I moved to New York and went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for a couple of years and, um, you know, did off broad well, way, way, way off Broadway. Don't get lost on your way off Broadway. Um, and, uh, and then moved to LA and so that was in New York and then moved to LA and continued studying acting, but then also started studying writing from a new point of view, which is that of the screenwriter. And I went to writer's boot camp for a few years as well and learned about screenwriting. And then I also became a producer and learned a whole lot about the practical application of writing you, you know, a screenwriter is in the bedroom writing, you know, Oh, there's a the story. 13, yeah. 13 elephants ran through the room. Okay. But now I have to produce the movie of that. So maybe now it's two elephants, you know, like oh. I can't afford 13 elephants, you know, like, so you start realizing that in order to make a story into a reality, you might want to start thinking like a producer while you write. So 
So that was interesting, all the different things that that industry affected about my writing. And I will give credit to Hollywood for the reason that I am able to go from writing one book in 20 years to five books in four years is because the entertainment industry taught me a lot about organization and method and practices and all that. But more than anything, it taught me I had always known this, but I really, really got this. Do not wait for the muse. If you only shot movies on the day you felt like it, the way a lot of people write, if we only were able to make our creativity happen when we were in the mood for it, there'd be no movies. Yeah. We get our movies shot in, you know, some people shoot their movies in 10 days. Some people shoot their movies in a year or whatever, but we get it done on time and under budget because we don't wait for a mood. We just get your work done, just get your work done. So I learned a whole lot about how to do that because just saying, get your work done, that's not gonna make it happen. So I learned a whole lot of workarounds and methods and you know techniques for how to be productive, even if it's a rainy day or somebody doesn't show up or you know whatever the things that befall productions, you know, the analogies to that as writers are writer's block or not in the mood, or I have somebody in the hospital and I can't pay attention to that right now or whatever. Yeah, sure. Okay. But get your work done. Yeah. Well, especially for those listeners out there that um, are thinking about just doing it for themselves, um, you know, your own story, writing it down, or it's just happened or it happened years ago or whatever that is, or writing your poem Every an artwork is the same. People say, "Oh, I'm just not in the mood." You know, I I, I have to be in the mood to do it. So, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And if you do, then it's on you to figure out repeatable ways to create that mood. And you have to ask yourself why. Why am I not into it right now? What what's going on? Well, the best thing you can do is to choose things you're passionate about. That that will help you. But it isn't enough. Just being passionate, that's not enough for a rainy day. That's not enough for the day where everything goes sideways. It, it, you need more than passion. You need techniques. Yeah. yeah. You need repeatable techniques. And lots of them. Because some days, techniques 1 through 12, you're just burnt out on. You know, I don't want to do that today. So yeah. you need technique number 37. You know, you need more more and more ideas of how can I get around the things holding me back so that nothing holds me back. Mm -hmm. um, so do you say that you have to write every day, but like half an hour a day or? So do I don't do that. That's on you to decide how often you have works. to write, how much you have to write, because I don't know what your deadlines are. I don't know what your demands are. I don't know what you're writing for. I don't know what, what it's helping or healing or what. I don't know any of that. I will say that if you are, <clears throat> if you're completing a project, I usually start with the day it's due and work backward. Right. And figure out, okay, am I already two weeks late now that I see how much work there is to do? Um, so yeah, I, I usually figure it out by retrofitting my dates and figuring out what, how far along I should be today, tomorrow, the next day. Yeah. Um, I kind of <laughs> do it like a, a folding a sheet or something. You know, I take the end of the sheet and the beginning of the sheet, and then I fold it in half and take that 
point and say, that's okay, uh, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. Well, so that's, that's one thing is to, know, you know, have a plan, know what you're doing and all that. But it's also, um, I mean, if you're writing for yourself, yeah, then writing every day becomes different because the demands are different. Like I, I did a program uh, with another book called The Artist Way. And The Artist Way, one of the things they ask you to do is write what they call morning pages. Every single morning you write three pages and it doesn't matter what it says. So you're allowed to write three pages of this is stupid. I hate morning pages. I never <laughs> want to do this again. You're allowed to write that. And so, and there were days where that's what I wrote. Was I think, I, I think to that. interrupt you, I think that's what Joey did in friends actually. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ross was making him write. And so he just wrote stuff like that. Yeah. Well, so, so you might think, well, well then what's the point of that? Well, yeah. if you're, if you're journaling to yourself and you're committing to yourself, then just showing up for yourself is huge. So you started talking about journaling. So tell people what that's all about. And I know it's kind of the in thing right now to talk about, oh, journal it. Oh, you should have a journal. You know, that type of trendy kind of thing. It's always been there. I mean, we used to yes. do a diary, right? Which is, by the way, journal is just a, a man-friendly word for diary. It's like Coke Zero instead of Diet Coke. It's, it's, it's you know. Except it doesn't have the fancy lock and the key on it anymore. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> no lock, no key. But in the end, it is the same basic idea of that you are just recording yourself you're just you know it's a um more mental lingual version of a selfie you're just recording this is me today this is where i'm at but you can use it different ways and and i recommend that you figure out what kind of journal you need and then journal the way that you need um mm -hmm. i think that it's very smart a lot of people use gratitude journals i think that's super smart especially if you're having trouble with dark thoughts. It's very important to keep gratitude journal. It's, you know, just write three things every day that you're grateful for. And, you know, that kind of thing. I, I actually start my journal entries with um, what it is. I, what was the thing that made me feel happiest today? And, um, and then what it is that, that I want for myself in my life? what I'm ready for. Um, and, and the putting out there these things of like, you know, these touchstones, I, I didn't invent that. Um, actually the woman who wrote eat, pray, love has, uh, she has a lot of wisdom about journaling as well. And I use some of her wisdom. I use anything that works. I don't really care where it comes from. If it works, yeah, I yeah. use it. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. So for me, journaling used to just be, a this happened today, that happened today. This is how I felt about it. This is who I'm angry at. This is who I'm sad about. This is, you know, whatever. Um, these are my losses. This is what I'm, I wish would be different. This was what I'm proud of. This is, you know, whatever. Over time, I've needed less of a record of myself because I have a blog, I have um, social media, I have, you know, so I have, need less of a record of what my daily activities were and more of a discussion with myself. More about your feelings and emotions. Yeah. That day. Yeah. So it's less about this happened, that happened, and more about 
I'm so mad. I can't believe this. Or, oh my gosh, this is so scary. You should, you know, that kind of thing. Or, wow, I can't believe this happened today. Yeah. Feeling stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually sounds really interesting. And I never thought of it like that, where you could take different angles for, for your journaling. And then what I wanted to combine and talk about the journaling is how it's so very, very important when it comes to leaving a legacy, whether you're going to take your a bunch of journals and put them into a book and then publish it, whether it's for your, just your immediate family and friends, or if it's actually you want to sell it um, or give it away. But you can talk more about that because sometimes people, I mean, I would absolutely love it if I found my grandmother or uncle or I don't care who it is and they had a box of journals that I could get my teeth into and then start writing a book about it. Like that would be like huge for me. So I imagine there must be so many other people out there. So whether you actually get it written before you pass or whether you get it just ready. I think it's awesome either way. Well, that to me is a huge passion and more now than ever, but it started, oh gosh, uh, in the early nineties, late eighties, my aunt, my aunt Norma gave me her journal from a year, uh, her first year of being a widow. And she, she became a widow in her fifties. And so that was a, you know, that's, that's early. Yeah. So you have to do the rest of your life by yourself. And she'd only ever loved one man. So it was, she was not just losing her identity as a wife and all that. Um, but she was losing her partner and best friend since she had been 16 years old. Yeah. So it was a huge loss for her. And she wrote, somebody suggested that she journal. So she did. And she gave that journal to me when I was going through my young divorce. And I found it to be so helpful because even though becoming a widow is so different than becoming a divorcee, both of those are about loss and about having to restructure your life in the wake of decoupling. Yeah. And about rebuilding your identity as a singular person. And, 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 and there was a lot of things that were actually just, it doesn't matter if it, death or divorce, it's an ending, it's an ending and endings get grieved and yeah. they create new beginnings and you have to do a bunch of work. And so I found that journal to be so helpful. And, and for a long time, that was enough for me. I was just selfish and enjoyed that it helped me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it did. But years later, like about 10 years later, it occurred to me that it could help other people. And so I asked my aunt if I could turn it into a book. So it's actually the first thing that I ever published was not any of my books. It was her book. Oh, I took her journal and re-edited it into a how-to book called How to Be a Widow, A Journey from Grief to Growth by Norma DuPont. And it's 
it's spiritual, it's sad, it's funny, it's upsetting. It's, you know, it's all the things that my aunt was and, and that that period in her life were, uh, was, but it has helped other people. And that is something that was so meaningful to her before she passed. And of course is meaningful to me and, and helped me want to write nonfiction again and again in order to help people. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that was where it all started for me was with my aunt's journal. Oh, that's cool. And then your story of, of living the way you did and which comes from not, I didn't write journals um, when I was 11, but I did, which is unfortunate, but I did, um, I had an 11 year old's brain so I could remember a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I knew at 11 that I was gonna be writing that story. So I paid attention in a, in a probably- Different a way. way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because no, every other kid probably, they'd say, oh, I don't remember that. Well, some of these stories, I'm, some of the stories that if you were to read Lemonade Farm, some of the stories that are based on real things that happen, you would not forget these things if they happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Pretty memorable things. <laughs> but some of it is fictional and, you know, has to be equally memorable. But um, but yeah, some of these stories are things that, you know, we're all middle-aged people now that were the kids back then. And and yet if you bring up these stories, they're like, oh my God, remember, remember? Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it's so interesting too that so many people have gone through a sickness or they have this weird, crazy story of a relationship or, or, you know, finding journals from your aunt or grandparents or somebody from the war time, like all of this and, and COVID would make another extreme interesting story. Um, all of these different things, um, the condo collapse, you know, somebody writing something about that or uh, anything that's affected somebody's life in some good or bad way would make an absolutely very interesting story. Well, I also and, think that part of our story is figuring out things. You know, we have all figured out things and, and they, if, if you don't have children, they just die with you. You know, you figured yeah. out all life hacks and then it all just dies with you. So that's another reason to write things down for other people is if you figured out a, if you're Marie Kondo and you figured out how to organize somebody's house and turn it into a place of nothing but joy, then write that down. Tell us how to do that. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I think a lot of us have figured out life hacks, skill sets for how to get through our particular circumstance that might be useful to people going through any number of circumstances. You know, like um, uh, divorce or what they used to do and not divorce whenever that was, was it 50s or 60s or something around there? They wouldn't divorce, but they'd have affairs. You know, what kind of story is around that? or just, yeah, crazy stuff. Well, there's an old Jewish saying that when a person dies, a library is burned. And I feel that obviously that has truth to it, but I feel that if you, if you die and you don't say anything, then the library is burned. But if you write it down, then the library might be burned, but there are books everywhere. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, the books are out there. 
And for me, I don't have children. So for me, the books are my stories. They are my offspring. They are what I created while I was here and sent out into the world and hoped made the world a better place, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, they are my mission statements. They are what I learned. They are, and they're all out there. Um, but I think for, you know, the average Joe, if you figured out how to like turn a garage into a, uh, apartment unit for your college kid, tell other people how to do that. If you figured out, you know, like anything you figured out, I figured out how to, um, potty train a two-year-old. Okay. Well then tell somebody, you know, anything you figured out, if you don't share it with us, it dies with you. So even if it's not a story story, yeah. which I do believe everybody has a story, but even if you don't have a story you want to share with people, you have information you want to share with people. You have something you figured out that at least your children are going to want to know, at mm -hmm. least pass it on to those who are closest to you and would benefit from your wisdom. I think um, it's the best legacy that you can leave whether it's writing a journal and putting notes down for someone else to write the book after, or I, we talk about in, in our app, there's the last module is called the treasure box and it's talking about leaving your story and how you want to do that. So if it's a book of, of putting all your favorite recipes that everybody loves, put that in a book. Yes. Which my grandmother you know? did. My <laughs> grandmother had this recipe book. And she had gathered, you know, things from Family Circle magazine or what, you know, all these different <laughs> things. So some of them were newspaper cutouts and magazine cutouts, and some were all handwritten by her. But it was a hodgepodge. It was every every kind of recipe. And she had handwritten notes all over it and all that. And my cousin took that cookbook, and this was back in the 90s, so she just Xeroxed it. But she Xeroxed um the pages of that booklet and rebound it and sent that out to all of the family after my mom all passed. So that was an extraordinary gift to have is my mom. Absolutely. I mean, that's generations of food knowledge passed down. And then yeah. my mother is um, my mother. I pushed, I pushed, <laughs> I pressured and pushed, but I, I asked her. No, Poked. <laughs> I, yes. I, I, drew her toward the water to, uh, to write her story. And, and she did. And she, the way she did it was she wrote basically a page about a page to three pages about each of the stories that she wanted to tell that were like defining moments from birth to she she'll be 82 tomorrow. And um, so she was wanting to capture these different memorable moments in her life that sort of sum her up. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is partially so that my brother and I have that and partially so that her grandchildren and children have that and partially so that um, her friends and her church community, et cetera, all have that record of her. But my mother was actually one of those people that affected a lot of people. And so it's possible that her stories would affect a lot of people. Um, the bottom True. line is I, my mom is in the hospital now and my feeling of panic and pressure about getting her to write those stories down is gone because she already did it before she ever ended up in a situation where it's like right now or never, you know, she's not in any kind of situation to write right now. She's very distracted yeah. by trying to get better. And, 
So she, this would be no time. It would be cruel for, her, for me to tell her to write now. So I'm so very glad that I pressured her to do it while she was well mm -hmm. so that we all have it no matter what happens, no matter what happens with her, you know, health right now, that story will live on her version of her story, her version of her events will live on. And, and I've well, now been pressuring my dad, my uncle, I've been pressuring oh, everybody now. <laughs> oh, everybody's getting on that. Um, what I really like about it is that it's her story. It's from her point of view. So just think about generations, you know, because don't you always say, I wonder what my great grandmother was like, or right. I wonder what my grandfather was like. And, you know, and not to ever know. Really, I have I, my I mama's have... Uh, school scrapbook. I have a my mama who went to my mama was born in 1904, and and still ended up going to college, and so she's an unusual young lady to yeah. have gone to college when she wasn't eligible to vote. So um, that was always fascinating to me. Her and her sister both went to college. They were both farm girls. They were farmers' daughters. <laughs> Why would they both have college degrees? But they do, did. And um, so getting a hold of her school scrapbook was a, a peek into that of like, well, why why was Mama afforded this education? And, and how did it affect her that she was educated at a time when other women were not? No. And certainly not at home having kids. Children. Yeah. Yes. And she was considered far too old when she finally got around to doing that. So yeah, seeing her, seeing her school book really was an insight. And the biggest insight was there was a photo that she clipped of herself and put in that scrapbook that she said something about her having a big voice. And I was like, really? Because I wouldn't have thought that she saw herself that way. I thought she got that way over time because she got older and felt entitled to owning her space. But it turns out that when she was a teenager, she felt like, no, you should listen to me. I got stuff to say. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And Especially I wish she had written her stories. Huh? Especially back then to be so independent. Oh, yeah. No. And there's all kinds of things in there that, that are like, oh, that's an insight into her. She used to cut hair and I cut hair in college as well for, for just added, you know, spending cash. Yeah. And I didn't know that she had done that. And I don't know if she ever knew that I had done that, but yeah, there's all sorts of little details of her that, that aren't just the things of, Oh yeah, I really am my grandmother's grandchild, but they're the things of like, Oh, she's not just some old lady, you know? like Yeah. That I didn't really know very well. Yeah. She was a young person who dated and she had, you know, a social life and she liked this movie, but not that movie. And she enjoyed going to this dance and she wanted to date for that dance. And she spent her own money from teaching to get this particular dress. It's the first dress she ever bought herself. And, you know, all this stuff, there were just the details of her, but they are the details that like as an actor, as a writer, you know, those are the details that make the character. Yes, Absolutely. And when, even if it's just recipes, it's, it's like that they've put their passion and love and their expertise into that, whether it's how to crochet or knit a sock or like, 
you know, I, I talk about this all the time about putting your words down on paper or in front of video or doing photos. And, and I, I, I do like how everybody seems to be getting on the bandwagon of collecting their photos and, you know, making books now. That's, that's really awesome. But they're still not doing enough of writing from their head and their heart. Not enough of that yet. Well, I think one thing about writing is a lot of people, first of all, a lot of people think that you have to be a great writer in, to, in order to write something great. And that's just not true. You can, you can have no skills as a writer and write a terrific story. Um, it's just a matter of having a terrific story and, and then getting and, out of the way of telling it. And having so, a good editor. <laughs> well, but it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. If the story is great, it doesn't matter how you tell it. it the person encountering the story is still going to say, oh, my God, that's. Uh oh. She froze on us for a second here. Hold on. Hold on. Let's see if we can get her back. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> We're just trying to get Laura back here. Maybe go out and come back in, Laura. Let's see if she'll come back in. I wanted her to tell us about her final words to you guys. This is, I, I could talk about this forever. It's so very interesting and so very informative of, it doesn't take much to write your words down on paper or to take that photo and make a big collage of photos. I think she's going to try and come back in. So hold on one second. See if she can come back in for us and tell us her final words. Um, we lost our internet connection there for a second. So, But, you, you know, I, I, I think it's so important that we put our legacy into words, whether it's on video or paper, and be able to hand that down to all those other generations as well. And we do talk about having a plan and putting your stuff into a plan and being able to, to show your other family members where things are. But it's also important to say that, you know, we, we wanna leave that so that people know what we were, what we were all about and who we were and why we did things. and how we explain things in our own head and where we came from because every certain situation also comes with the situation of that time and i mean we can all say i did this when i was 10 years younger but i wouldn't choose that path now um, and i think we made decisions of certain times then but um i don't know if laura's coming back in so we're going to wrap it up and, you know, take a moment and like and subscribe to our channel <laughs> down here in the bottom corner. Please subscribe to our channel. And if you are thinking about that special someone right now that, you know, you're, you hold dear to your heart um, and that you haven't heard from in a while, please reach out to them and tell them how much you love and care about them and that, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So you don't know if you'll have that opportunity. Here she is. 
There she is. Sorry about that. We're having a storm here in our... Uh... I thought so. <laughs> you guys are always having storms there. Uh-oh. So, yeah. Oh, so she's coming back. Uh, so we were just going to say, what would your final message be, Laura, for the listeners? Well, I think the thing... In the world of telling your own story, I think the thing is that there's so many parts of your life that you're not in control of. There's so many things that are just, I mean, the whole idea of a backup plan is that you know that the first plan is probably going to fall through at some point. So keeping that in mind, keeping in mind that there's just really no way to avoid that life is what's happening while you're making other plans. I, I think it's important to, um, to remember that this is your one and only life. It is not the dress rehearsal. And that for me, that life is worth having a record of. And whether that's to share with the general public or whether that's just to pass down to your progeny or to leave for your church community or like-minded fellow bicyclists or whatever, um, that that is on you. You can't control so much of life, but you can control that you tell your story or you pay forward the things you figured out and learned over time. And the fact that you can be in charge of how your story is told and what parts are included and not included, and that's a huge privilege, you know? Like at some point, if you don't write anything down, you'll pass and the newspaper will decide what the story of you was. Yes, that's for so, sure. Yeah. So since there are so few things in your control, and this is one of them, I say grab it. Grab the, you know, this one thing that's in your control, which is the story of you. And and I, for me, it's critically important that I um, have access to my family's stories. Uh, so I am pushing to make sure that all of the people in my family are writing their stories. And some of them are using my... Uh -oh. are just uh, white knuckling to do it and having some success with that. And some of them are just saying they're going to do it and they're not doing it. They're just not doing it. But it is the one thing that each one of us gets to have be in, uh, in total charge. Control. Of. Yeah. And what I didn't mention is that all of your stuff is down below in the description box. So do you have all your books on your website? And I do. So I it's do. easy for everybody to access your program yeah. and... Which yeah, the website is the best way to get to um, to everything in one spot because it has all my social media links. It has, you know, contact forms. It has all my books and links to whether you want that from Amazon. Oh, I have to add the Apple books. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to add that. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's there's all sorts of ways to skin that cat and, and they're all available through the website. And I think what a lot of people struggle with in this whole concept, and I'm sure your relatives would say that as well, is they think they don't have a story. You know, they don't think they have anything that anybody would want to be interested in reading. I, th I think that's what stops. A in lot my family, that's not the problem because we're sort of <laughs> fancy people. We've had a very fancy life. And, and so like my father, um, he has an extraordinary story and he knows it. So that's not his problem. His problem is trying to figure out what any of us would care about in that story. 
And to me, it's so obvious, but to him, he's like, well, why would you want to hear that story? Why would you care about that story? You know, so he doesn't really know what to share. And my opinion is write it all down and worry about what to share later. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Just get it out there and you can remove and add and subtract later. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you for coming on. I'm so grateful to have you on our show and, and I, I, I will ha absolutely have to have you come back. There's never enough time to talk about this important part of your backup plan, as well as of, of anybody's journey in life. I really think it's important. Well, it is. And, and, and like I said, whether you do it with the tools I've laid out in writing on block four years, so that's super helpful to a lot of people for a lot of things. But, you know, if you are having trouble telling your story or figuring out how you want to share your story, there are tools in there that are fun that gets you moving, that gets you putting things down or gathering your, you know what the biggest thing people forget is that you already have a ton of stuff, no matter what story it is you're trying to tell. You already have scraps of paper, receipts, whatever. You have a bunch of stuff already. Photos. Yeah. So that's the first thing is just to figure out what you already know about your story and then turn it into something that's useful, either just to yourself for in memoriam or for your fellow man on the planet. Right. Right. And I think there's something exciting about that part too. Absolutely. It is for and me because I get to meet people like you and find out that um, either something I've done has been helpful or that something I've shared made you feel less alone in the world or, um, or even just finding out that people who are, you know, this is kind of a, a silly, strange thing, but like sometimes people don't understand that, you know, if you're tall and pretty, that doesn't mean you don't have problems. <laughs> or blonde. <laughs> no, no, like, yeah, like there's some people who they, they don't get to share their story um, until somebody finds out they have one, you know, like some people just assume that there are entire groups of people that don't have problems or have stories or have experiences that are of use. So yeah, for me, there's a million reasons to just write it all down. Just Absolutely. write it all down and worry why you did it later. Yeah. Yes. Because you'll look at it from a different angle after putting it down for a while and then looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. My goodness. I can't talk about this enough. And I think we should be telling everybody to start writing. That's for sure. Whether it's a journal or your first paragraph in your book, because I know I'm going to write my first paragraph today. <laughs> well, write your first paragraph, but don't write your second one because you need to do all that other. There's fun exercises that'll get you going so that you won't just write two paragraphs, abandon it and think two years later. Oh, yeah, I was going to write that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've done that. <laughs> Not only I have, but it is the most, I, have, I coach people and it's the most common thing I hear from clients and also from fellow, just out in the world even. When anybody finds out I wrote a book, they, I, it's the most common thing I hear is that either they started a book and they don't know how to finish it, or they have a book in them and they don't know how to start it, or they have these ideas, but they think I should write it for them. And I, I think, no, everybody that has an idea 
is capable of writing either a book or a story or whatever it is you're trying to make out of it, a play, a screenplay, whatever. Whatever, if, yeah. If you have an idea that's one sentence long, I, that writing on block is designed to help you take that one sentence idea and turn it into a completed project. So, and it's using tools that are both from the writing industry and from the entertainment industry that I just squashed together to find the most effective way of making an idea become something real that somebody else could read or watch or listen to as an audiobook or whatever. Right. Or eventually maybe one day become a movie. You never know. And maybe I'll you play a part. <laughs> yeah. You never know what will happen. Well, thank you again, Laura, for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And um, thank you, know, you for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, and I'm going to have you come back because there's so much more okay. to talk about for that, for sure. Um, so stay tuned for our podcast and our live streams. I have great conversations with some of the most interesting and accomplished people in the world today, like Laura. I should guess I should go this way. Like, <laughs> um, I think you'll be entertained and motivated. I definitely, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm motivated and inspired to get writing. And I know that hopefully we can excuse, ex, there I am again with that word. We can get you guys motivated and inspired to start writing, whether you finish it, whether you don't finish it, it doesn't matter. It's like my app, just get started and you'll yep. find out that it's not that hard. Actually, it's just getting started. It's like that exercise that you're going well, to do. What you were saying earlier about um, if you were to come across notes from your aunt or your grandmother or your mother, you know, if you were just to get started, that'd be something that your, you know, your three generations from now could come across and be like, oh, look what I found. It's the start of something. At least yeah. you have that. Yeah. Or half done or whatever, or all written. And now you, somebody can take it from there. Yeah. It's, it's, it would be, it would be magical. Absolutely magical. Because I talk about finding that scarf or, you know, that knitted sock that your grandmother knit in the drawer or, and it has her scent on it. And I, I just talk oh. about all these things that are just so, when you miss somebody, it's just so magical when you can find something that means something. It's just, I, I can't even explain it. Well, and as far as the grieving process goes, that's one thing that you can do as well as you can write down all the things you remember and love about that person. One of the things people fear most when they lose somebody is that they will forget the details of that person. Yeah. So usually when you are suffering a loss, um, you are enveloped in the details of that person. That's all you can think about is the details of that person. Write them down. Write them down. Not only will it give something for your brain to do with all that activity it's doing, but it will also be something that one day you will forget some of the details of your loved ones that have gone before you. And you will have that written down for yourself. And for others. And for others. It might be, you know, you lost your spouse or partner and your kids are growing up and they're going to be able to have that later. And because oh, they might sure. not have known him or whatever, right? Well, yeah, and even just even even if everybody is doing everything right, there's just stuff that we don't share with each other. You know, my aunt's journal 
it was meant for her, but her children got to read it. You know, her children got to read her journal because I turned it into a book. So then everybody could read it. Her church got to read it. Her, her bridge partners got to read it. You know, like everybody got to read it and see what she'd been through and, and have an experience of her husband through her eyes. And, you know, I mean, think about that. If you're, if you're an adult child of somebody who's, you know, your parent passed when you were younger. Now here's this journal capturing, like you said, the smell of him and the feel of him and all these little details of him that are the way your mother saw him, you know, like that's, that's pretty fascinating stuff. It is. It is. Hits you right in your heart. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, thank you again. And thank you to all our listeners. Absolutely. And we are on all podcasts, platforms, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook group. We have uh, a VIP group that you're welcome to join. Thank you for taking your time and sharing it with us all. I always end our show with Carol Burnett because she was always dear to my heart. I am so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. Stay safe. Be kind. Expect the unexpected. Till next time. Bye. All right.